There's some Sundays that it feels like, and I told the the team before service today, I don't care if I don't get to preach today. So I'm going to be brief because, you know, in uh, the book of Acts, when you read like what happened at first, it's a great account. If you've never read through the book of Acts, I think this is a good season to do that. I believe God wants to show you some things in the book of Acts and show us and remind us of some things out of the book of Acts. This is what happened when the Spirit of God got poured out. And here's the amazing thing. They had no New Testament scriptures to look at. They had no history books. They didn't even have gospels yet in the early part of the book of Acts. All they had was a living demonstration from the apostles of all the things that Jesus taught them and then commanded them to do and teach. And that's all they had. And they just did the stuff. They just dived in and did life with Jesus. And it was an absolutely overwhelming thing so that just a few chapters in, the testimony of the church was, the people that have turned the world upside down have come to us. And it's because they just did it. They lived this simple gospel. We have so overcomplicated the good news. We have made it like, uh, I mean, uh, I studied a little bit in seminary and I'm not against study. I think it's good. And there's some people that ought to take their time to learn the Greek and the Hebrew and context and background and all of that kind of stuff. Please don't hear anything I'm not saying. But the danger in that is that we can make things complicated that Jesus simplified for us. I mean, the scholars of Jesus' day are the ones that put him on the cross. The ones who had the word of God memorized, crucified the word made flesh. And so the gospel and the preaching of the gospel is not one of those, hey, don't try this at home, kids. I used to be a part of a juggling troupe when I was in college. So I heard it was my side hustle in college. We got good enough to juggle fire. So we used to do this one trick with, a, we'd put a person in the middle and there'd be five of us juggling fire all around that person, passing the torches back and forth. And at the end of it, we would, or somewhere in it, we'd always say, hey, don't try this at home, kids. This is a please try this at home, kids. If your gospel message has been, well, I'm going to invite you to church, that I'm pressing you today to go a little bit deeper. And trust that the Spirit of God in you knows exactly the words to say in the moment you need to say them. Yeah, by all means, invite people to join together because there are things that happen when the church comes together and we are together, a, a tabernacle of God, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. But gone are the days, thank you, Jesus, of the professionally paid preacher evangelists doing all the stuff. How we, re -put, how we put that back in after Jesus simplified it and said, I want all of y'all to do this, I don't know. But today's the day I'm coming for you. If you have not shared the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody to the point where you gave them an opportunity to, to confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord and to express their belief that God raised Jesus from the dead, then I'm coming after you today in love. Because we need everyone. This is a message for moments. Last week I shared Isaiah 61. How many of you have the spirit of the sovereign Lord upon you because he's anointed you to bring good news? You don't yet? Or you just don't want to raise your hands? I see you guys glaring at me over there like that. You're distracting me. Smile. Jesus loves you. There we go. All right, that's good. Everyone, if you are in Christ, the spirit of God's in you and you already have everything you need for the moment when you're face to face with somebody who is the spirit of the sovereign Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to what? To the afflicted. To somebody who is at that rock bottom place where you don't have to convince them they're a sinner. You don't have to convince them of that they're in desperate straits. They're already there. And it doesn't matter how much money they have or whether they're homeless, have a nice house or, you know, what, whatever their situation is. There are going to be people, I'm telling you, there are going to be people crossing all of our paths in the next season that are in that spot. And it is absolutely critical that every one of us is ready for that moment. So today I'm going to walk you through the gospel. It's so simple. It's so simple a kid could do it. I gave this challenge out to um, all the preachers I know, all the teachers, all those called to lead or teach or anything said, figure out how to explain that to a five-year-old. And when you can explain it to a five-year-old, you're ready to go and share it with anybody. I'm so grateful I got to be a children's pastor for a few years because I came in with a little bit of Christianese and I used the King James Bible. After about three weeks of blank faces, I thought, I've got to try another method here. This is not working. 
I don't even understand. I mean, it's like, read, you know, you got to look up Shakespeare. But anyway, I don't care. It's not the Bible translation. It's that if we can't explain it in simple terms, then it's not the good news. So oh, maybe this week and next week, I'd like to break down some things because we, we, we've gotten out of balance. And I don't just mean hillside. I mean, I believe the church of Jesus Christ in general, maybe it's just in the Western world, we've gotten out of balance where there's actually two gospels. It's the same gospel, but there, it's two different emphases. There's the gospel of salvation and there's the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. They're the same thing, but one's got to come first. And if you just get the gospel of the kingdom, it means you got the benefits of living where King Jesus is on the throne, where it's heavens just invaded the earth. And everybody benefits from that, pagan, heathen, Christian alike. We all benefit when the kingdom of God comes. The problem is that you can warm the butt, you warm your, your butt can warm a seat in a church or a pew in a church. That was hard to say. Your butt can warm a seat. But we want to know and you ought to want to know, we all would want to know, if I'm face to face with Jesus right now, how is it? Well, what would it be like right now if Jesus would just appear, take my place at the pulpit? That would be awesome, by the way, just saying. He would come right here and you would have a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. What's your feeling about that? If you were to be face to face with God right now, this is your last moment of life and there you are. It's just you and God. Nobody else is around. Nobody that, you know, if you've been blaming other people for your problems, they're not there. It's just you and God right now. What feeling does that inspire? It's been kind of fun. I've been meeting with a few people that the elders discern. We felt like they're deacons. So I've been going and saying, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Almost every single one of them said, why? I was wrong. Listen, am I really like that? Am I, do I, am I scary like that? Do you only hear from me when things are bad? I mean, I hope not. Good Lord, help me if that's the case. But when God calls our name, if our belief is, oh man, there's going to be trouble, then maybe the problem is not just that we're paranoid. You know, in Christ, we could go from being paranoid to pronoid. Learn that word from Bill Vanderbush. <laughs> paranoid means we expect bad things are going to happen. Pronoid means we expect good things are going to happen. And that's the truth in Christ because the path of the righteous is like the morning sun which grows brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. There might be clouds sometimes. There might be a storm that comes through sometimes. But that sun's getting higher and higher in the sky. That is the truth of our life in Christ. It only gets better from here. Everything that goes on in our life, every tragedy, everything that brings grief and sorrow, it comes to pass. Meaning one day that's going to be in the rearview mirror. And if we've done it with Christ, we're going to look back and say, surely his goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life because that's all I can see. The storm was awful. The season was terrible. But looking back, he never left me. He never forsook me. He has always been good in the middle of it all. I would suggest that one of our issues in the church is that we have some who have come and are part of the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't pretend to know for sure about anybody. I just want you to know something as I share these words today. I'm not preaching at anybody here. I don't even know who's going to be here today. There's nobody that's being targeted right now. All of us, when it comes down to it, will stand before the throne of God one day and give an account for our life. Nobody's going to stand before the throne of Steve and give an account for your life. God help us. Nobody's going to give account to the person that's sitting next to us or the person who lives in our house. In the end, it's us and God as it was in the beginning. And the question of life is, have I come to a place where I've got total peace with God? Where, man, I, if I see him five minutes from now, it's going to be awesome. Somebody, you know, there's this thing theologians talk about, the doctrine of eternal security which means how do I know, you answer the question, how do I know that I've got eternal life? How do I know that it's good with me and God? And I could tell you right now, an easy answer to that. Is it good with you and God right now? If you looked in the face of Jesus right now, is the first thought, man, I can't wait to see that face. I can't wait to wrap my arms around that man and thank him for what he's done. You're good. If that's your answer, you're all set. That's all you need to know. You don't need a degree. You don't need to study theology. You don't even need to understand the gospel of salvation, which I'll share today. 
It's good. The whole purpose of the cross, the entire purpose of Jesus' ministry was to restore peace between us and God. The ministry of what we call reconciliation. We once were at a distance and now we're reconciled. Reconciled means face to face, woven together again as it was always meant to be. That's what the good news is. But there's some that have come into church and have gotten comfortable with what we'd call churchianity. I don't know if anybody else used that term. I might have coined that one because... I never heard it from anyone else. Churchianity means I go to church every Sunday. I participate in activities. Or maybe I go to church every Sunday. Maybe not. Maybe I go when I can. But my life in Christ has been reduced to my church activity. Now I do believe this is the house God's building. Not just Hillside. Capital C Church. That is the most important work going on in all human history. That's still true. But that's not what salvation's about. Some of you I know have talked with you about church membership and some of you come from a tradition or two that believe that if you just get your name on the rolls of a church, like you're a member of the church, it's like your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a heresy. It's not Bible. It's not the same thing. You can attend church all your life and be completely distant from God. People do it all the time. And so there's some that Jesus addressed when he talked about himself as the good shepherd in John 10. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up another way, he is a thief and a robber. Strong words. Very strong words. This is Jesus now, not Steve. So if you don't like it, you can be mad at him. In other words, if you don't come through the door, who is whom? Jesus is the door. He is the only way, truth, and life. He is the only way to salvation. There is no other name by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus. He is the only way to be reconciled to the Father. It's not ever going to happen because we did more good works than bad. It's not gonna, we're not going to come into this kingdom, the, the place where all the sheep live. That's the kingdom. We're not going to come into this thing because you know we had a week where we did really good or because we prayed some prayer one time or because we you know, went to church or all of those things. No, 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 there is a door that must be gone through. On the other side of that door is life and that more abundantly. On the other side of the door who is Jesus is everything that we ever dreamed of and more beyond our wildest imaginations. There have been many attempts to describe what heaven's like. Paradise really is how it, I think it's better, more biblically termed. When heaven and earth have become one, when life begins now. Do you know you don't have to wait to die to experience heaven? Heaven is an experience. His, his presence is paradise. And just knowing his presence, being wrapped up in his presence, we already begin to experience what we get to experience forever. That's what he's given us. That's, but, but it comes through one way. And so I want to tell you how we access that way. This is our message. Our message is not just, so if I would say the gospel of the kingdom. So it says of Jesus when he began his ministry, I think I put Matthew 4, all the gospels record this. John the Baptist's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus picked up that baton after John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus began to preach all around Galilee. He said, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What was that gospel? Healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Gospel of the kingdom is when all the benefits of God's presence are now brought to bear in our lives. When we get to open up that inheritance that Patty exhorted about earlier and we begin to read all the things in it, it is so long you, you could spend the rest of eternity reading all the benefits of what heaven has in store for us and what now we have access through, through Christ. That's the gospel of the kingdom. But I believe that many folks come into church without experiencing the gospel of salvation, which I'll break down here today, which means I come because I get really good. I feel at peace when I'm with Jesus. My anxiety goes away. He healed my soul. I had such you know, a mental illness even, and I had all these things on the inside of me that were just destroying me and, and he made me feel better because I've been in his presence or I had addictions and I had all these things that just consumed me so I couldn't live my life and he made that all better. He healed me and 
restored me so now I live a normal life again after all of those things. All of these things are the gospel of the kingdom of heaven where we're, we come in and we prosper as our soul prospers and we're in good health. But I do believe that many have been deceived and many, as Jesus called them, thieves and robbers, have come in without this one thing. So the full gospel is an invitation to experience the life and all the benefits of heaven. The good news is that the kingdom of heaven is open to anyone. The good news is there are no pre-qualifications There's nobody who more deserves to come into this kingdom than another. There's nobody who deserves to be at the table of the Lord. Nobody whose sin was not as bad as somebody else. So whether you're an axe murderer doing life in prison or your worst sin was stealing cookies from grandma's cookie jar, there's nobody who deserves this kingdom more than somebody else. That is so important because the shame thing. What was the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree? They were ashamed. They were ashamed. They hid from each other and they hid from God. And the shame thing is based on the thought, well, after what I did, I don't deserve. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve to be back in Father's house. I don't deserve anything that God has for me. And and I've heard people directly say to me, oh no, pastor, if you only knew what I had done, to which I reply, no, if you only knew what I had done, God, you name your sin, I'll one-up you on your sin. And I'll tell you what a, what a jerk I was when God got a hold of me. Still working off some of the edges of that, I know, but you know, it's a process, right? <laughs> There's nobody. The shame thing comes off immediately with that revelation. If you're here today and you've been holding back, you're not sure you want to go in on this Jesus thing because of shame, I want to tell you right now, I declare shame off of you in Jesus' name. Then nothing you've done that he didn't already see Funniest moment in all the Bible, I think, is Adam and Eve hiding behind a bush from God. God's there in the garden. Adam, where are you? And they're hiding behind a bush. It's, a, it's like, you know, all of you have kids. You play hide-and-seek with the kids. You play hide-and-seek with a three-year-old. It's miserable if you're competitive. Because, <laughs> you know, they're there and, you know, they're behind a coat that's hanging and their feet are sticking out the bottom of it and they're shaking because they're so happy. They come to, you can't find me. They say that right on there. You can't find me. That's what it's like to hide from God. That's how absurd it is. Whatever it is you're ashamed of, do you think God didn't see that? Maybe the problem is, and I hope to clear this up today, that you just need to know what an amazing father he is. Some of us have better fathers than others. Some of us are better fathers than others, whatever measure you want to use for that. I'm telling you, God is the father we all dream of. Dream of being and dream of having. God is that kind of a father. He's the kind of father who loves us enough to apply the discipline and correction so we don't destroy ourselves and you know, fall off a cliff somewhere. But he's also the God who's always got wide open arms. There is never a thing that we've done where God's going to say, oh, I don't know about saw what you did there. I know what you thought there. He's just not like that. He's the kind of father whose arms are always eager for reconciliation. There's never a time, not anybody in all human history who has repented and turned their heart and run toward God was rejected when they got to the gate of that house. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. Don't hold back going into the father's house you're going to find, if you think he's harsh, you're going to be so surprised. What a pleasant surprise it is to find out the kind of father he is. Now, that being said, there's one thing that we've got to do. And the only reason why we have to do it is because if there's a gap between us and God, it's because we created one. We created one. If there is any distance between us and the presence of God, it's not because God said, I've had enough, I'm out of here. He never does that. He's not like a, a man or, you know, like us. We lose our patience. Anybody else lose your patience? You get tired of dealing with the same thing over and over again. Anybody else here like that? We get tired of it. We lose patience. We get even where it's like, man, I don't know if I ever want to see you again. We all, we all get to that kind of a place. He never does. His love never runs dry. You know why? Because he is love. It's an amazing revelation about God. He not only exercises love, we tend to think, well, I love, which means, you know, love is a verb thing, and I love. God can't help himself. 
it would be against his nature not to love. And part of that, a big part of that love is to receive. So the only way in, how do you go through that gate or the door? How do you go through the door so that you're not a thief and a robber in the sheepfold? It's through repentance. Only way into this kingdom is through repentance. And I'll, uh, that, that word, Jesus preached. He went out and preached. And from the beginning, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Before he had any disciples, this is before he gathered the 12. His first message to all these people who had no idea, they'd gone so distant from God. I mean, think of a culture. Just fathom this one truth about Israel in the days of Jesus. Think of a culture that had gotten so hard against God, so sinful, so completely deceived into believing that their service to God was, uh, was anything other than pagan. They, they were so deep in it that when the Son of God appeared and said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, they crucified him. I mean, that, that's the culture that Jesus entered into. What was his first message? His first message wasn't, come on, I want to heal all of you. Come on, I want to comfort all of you. That wasn't the first thing he preached. Did he do all those things? You betcha, because he couldn't help himself. He was around sick people, moved with compassion. He worked miracles everywhere he went. The Lord was doing good, healing, setting people free, delivering people from demonic oppression. Everywhere he went, he did that. But his message to gather disciples was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the word repentance carries with it a weight that I know for some, the first time they hear that word, you, you think hellfire and brimstone, maybe if you grew up Catholic, like old school Catholic, like, man, this is, uh, repent! You know, that's kind of, I don't know why it always comes with a southern accent, but you gotta repent! And it's this angry, shame on you, how could you do what you're doing? There's a lot of yelling and mad and screaming and stuff like that. And they go, okay, some people I think have come to Christ, not out of the fear of God, but fear of the preacher. Because he's, you know, he's looking right at you while he's preaching, what are you? you better repent, and okay. Sometimes we need to be awakened, as my pastor used to say, some people need to know the bad news before they can receive the good news. That's a truth, but that's not God's attitude. That's not what repentance means. Repentance is the first and best gift that God ever gave to us in terms of how we relate with Him. Repentance is not something to be afraid of. Repentance is not something to, to be ashamed of. Repentance, even if it's the umpteenth time, that we're repenting of the same thing. God's not tired of hearing it. We might be tired of hearing it. I don't know about you, but I get tired of going through the same kind of stuff, wrestling with things now that I wrestled with 32 years ago to where the enemy will come and say, see, it's nothing different about you. You're not even saved. Anybody else hear that voice? Welcome to the company of people who have an enemy. And his entire bent is to keep us from that place of true repentance so the word repentance literally means to turn. So if there is pre God's presence, right? That cross is God's presence and I'm living my life. I either have my back to it or I have my face to it. If I'm in need of repentance because I have my back to it, I've turned my back on God and I'm living my own way. I'm creating distance between God with every day that goes by that I'm not engaged in a life-giving fellowship with the God who created me, the God who loved me, the God who took on flesh, lived as one of us, and died for my sins, every day is another step further away. I am creating distance from God. This was me in my life 33 years ago when, when the Lord found me. I used to say I found the Lord, and then I realized I didn't find nothing. I didn't even know what I was looking for. I knew for sure I was running hard and fast away from a God that I viewed as oppressive, controlling, even manipulative, I thought that if I'd come to Christ, all the fun's over. That's it. Party stops right now. And I partied hard, believe me. And, and I thought, that can't get any better than this. Oh, man, did I not have a clue what I was talking about. So this is repentance. I was walking my own way. I was living my own life. And then came the voice of the Lord. And it didn't happen just in an instant. I bet all of you, and I've known a lot of your testimonies that happened over the course of time, a word here, uh, some expression of love here, another word here, another moment of grief here, and then came that day.
that great and beautiful day that I will never forget as long as I live, when I finally said, okay, enough. Enough of this living with you in my rear view. Now I want to live with you in my front view. This is repentance. It's as simple as that, guys. I was going this way. Now I'm going this way. You notice what wasn't in that? There was no groveling. There was no, hey, let me take a bath first. There was no, oh God, there's no way. You know, I'm unworthy. And none of all of that. Simply heard the message of love and said, okay, you're right. I'm going the wrong way in life. I repent. I'm facing you now from now on for the rest of my life. I'm walking this way. And every day since has been an amazing journey. Far from boring. In fact, have any of you ever prayed for a boring day? I have. I said, God, can I just have a boring day once? I'd love to have a boring day where I'm trying to find something to occupy myself. So what do we turn away from? What's involved in the lifestyle where we're facing away from God? We, we repent of dead works. Hebrews 6 lists all the elementary principles of Christ as the first one, repentance from dead works, the two kinds of dead works. There is the sin, and we all know it's wrong. This is an amazing thing about, uh, you know, when, when we go in a way and live in a lifestyle that we're not, it's just not God's way. It's not holy. It's not healthy. It's not right. We all know it's wrong in our heart of hearts. I've said to kids, it's wrong and you know it. It's like, how do you know? There's a parenting tip for you. When, you're, when your kids are little and they're just coming into understanding, this is the first way that you can know when they're doing it on purpose and when they're just acting like little kids. If they do it and then they hide from you, they know that it's wrong. Sorry, kids, I just ratted you out. I think I've shared this story with you all before, but our firstborn was an eye-opening lesson on what it's like to be, you know, Father God and what it's like to be that. And my son, uh, sorry, Ben, I, I didn't promise you I wouldn't tell this story again. I don't think he's watching right now anyway, but don't tell him that I told this story again. No, he, he told me this one's all right. Anyway, let me get on with the story now. He was, uh, I don't know, like two, three years old, something like that. And, uh, he, you know, we, we'd had a great day playing together. I was a house husband at the time doing seminary while my wife was at work and I was with him and we just, you know, we'd wrestle and tickle and we just had a blast all day long. He was my little buddy. We'd go ride bikes together and do all this kind of stuff. And then, uh, we lived in this house. It was the big house blue and, uh, it was, we were getting dinner ready and now everybody knows you don't eat candy before dinner, right? That's a universal house rule. I know it's not a universal grandma, grandpa house rule, but in houses where you want kids to be sane and don't want like kids up at midnight freaking out, banging off the walls, that's a rule, right? That's a hard and fast universal. So that was a rule. Ben knew it. So I walked into his room and I, I, I could hear uh, from the other side of the bed the wrinkling of a wrapper. And, it, you know, Fu Manchu over here put together what was going on. So I walked around the side of the bed. He didn't see me come in the room. We had carpets on the floor. He didn't hear me come around. And I just called his name. I said it just like this. Hey, Benjamin. I'm he jumped. He spun around. He crashed into the wall. He freaked out. I hugged him and, you know, we worked it out. And it's not the end of the world. But he knew it was wrong by the way he responded to my presence. The way we respond to the call of God and to the word of God is the indication that we know that what we're doing is wrong. If the word of God comes and it makes us feel angry, it makes us feel ashamed, all of the bad responses to the word of God, it's an indication that deep inside we know something's wrong. So those are the sinful dead works. We also, though, repent of the dead religious dead works. Dead works can include what we would term self-righteousness. I don't need the sacrifice Jesus made on a cross. I don't need anybody to stand in the place for me. I can earn my way into heaven, thank you very much. It's what we call self-righteous. I will go through religious motions. You know, I, I've known people who, they want to have a feeling of being close to God. And so they'll join together with a religious kind of movement where you know, maybe you're, you're going through things, uh, a church service, maybe it's a liturgy, maybe it's just, 
something that doesn't challenge the heart. I hope that here there's a word always coming over this pulpit that challenges the heart. There's got to be a change. We're not going to do same old, same old. We're not going to stay the same as we are. We're going to come in one way and we're going to leave another. I hope that we encounter the Lord every week like that through the word, through worship, through ministry that happens. It's got to be that way. But we can go through motions of religion and live in it all of our lives, all the while thinking, oh, I'm good. I've got eternal life. I'm going to tell you the self-righteousness, our righteousness in comparison to Christ. See, we compare ourselves to everybody around us. We think, well, I'm better off than that clown. This is an amazing truth that Mario Murillo brought out in a message I heard him preach about, you know, when we compare ourselves to other people, when uh, judgments of hypocrisy go to the body of Christ, and there's somebody who's living a perfectly pagan lifestyle who seems to be kinder and gentler and sweeter than this guy who's been in Christ for 10 years. What you don't know about this guy who's been in Christ for 10 years is where he started from. That he was like an addicted, murdering, blaspheming, uh, like, you know, drunken sailor kind of person. And little by little and day by day, God's been bringing him along. And although he may not appear as righteous as this guy over here who grew up in a nice house, always has money and doesn't seem to have a care in the world, this man's been making progress back toward God, where this guy who has all the appearance on the outside of being perfectly uh, religious and on all that still may break, making a distance. Remember, the ones who crucified the Lord were the most religious people of the day. They did all of the works from sunup till sundown every day, prayed, sacrificed, did all the things, and were as far away from God as they could be where the Son of God himself said, you're sons of the devil. So the deception of, of religious dead works is I'm doing good things, therefore I'm good with God. The good news is to resimplify life, when we turn toward God, he starts restoring everything that's been stolen. He begins to bring things back that we lost. And it's as simple as being face to face with him. Turn toward God. That's what repentance means. Now, how do we do that? What does it mean to repent in the age after Jesus died on a cross and stood in our place for the, the death sentence that should have been ours? Repentance is far more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is not feeling anything. I mean, there, there's something that comes with a brokenness, right? It comes with a certain, uh, I think there are tears most often, especially that first time with repentance. But the meaning of repentance simply means I'm turning away from that and I'm turning towards something else. Does that mean you're going to be perfect from that day on? Of course not. It means that now I'm, I'm turned toward God and I acknowledge I need a Savior. I need somebody to set me free and help me overcome this thing. I feel drawn back to it like a magnet pulls metal back to itself. There's these things that we come to Christ with, and there's this moment that we're saved. And then for the rest of our life, it's going to be moving toward God and over we work out our salvation, the Scripture says, with fear and with trembling. So what does it mean to be saved? What does it look like when we actually come in? See, here's the, here's the thing that we have to understand about God, and this is why the gospel of salvation comes first, and then we begin to experience the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. You all know the story of the prodigal son? Here's the, rem the modern remake of the parable of the prodigal son, which basically just says this son who squandered his whole inheritance, he lived in the house, he knew better, and with eyes wide open, he made a choice. I'm leaving the house. I'm taking all the goodness of God. And I'm going to go squander it in a faraway country. And I'm going to live like I want to live. And I'm not even going to be sorry for it. And then he came to the end of his rope. He was the afflicted. Famine in the land. Now he's feeding pigs. And it says he came to his senses. That's the moment. There, there are these moments where the deception clears away. It's like the clouds clear, and now we're face to face with God. When we're bringing good news and preaching salvation, that's the moment we're looking for. When has the fog cleared to where I'm not trying to berate you into believing you're a horrible sinner, but where you already know that, and I'm offering you reconciliation now? So the modern retelling of the parable, it's like this son was in this faraway country. The father left his house. He came in and moved in with him and fed pigs with him. 
That's, that's when we believe that all that's required is to receive the love of God. That's the rewrite of that parable, and I'm telling you, it's a lie. It's not all that there is. God is love. He will chase us down, fight till I'm found, leave the 99. But there's something that we have to do too. In order to enjoy this salvation and be clear, yes, I do have eternal life. I have been set free from the death sentence that was on my life. Something's required of me too. And it's not going to church every week and it's not doing a Boy Scout good deed of the day every day for the rest of my life. It's actual repentance into the name of Jesus. Repentance now, okay, so Steve, it's not just saying I'm sorry. This son was so broken when he came to his senses that he turned. He was feeding pigs, running away from God. He turned toward God. This is where it gets beautiful because before he could even make it back to the house, he had this whole spiel planned. You ever read his spiel? Prodigal say he's rehearsing it all the way. I have sinned against heaven and against your name, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. What I, the other thing I love in the parable is he starts in with that spiel, and the father interrupts him. So I'll just put shoes on his feet and a robe and a ring already. And kill the fatty calf. We're having a party tonight. The point is, though, the son made the move. He knew this moment where he came to his senses. He remembered, man, my father is good. I know he's good. The servants in his house are better cared for. How much more the son? And he repented and turned back toward God. There's got to be movement on our part toward God. Because here's, here's the message of the gospel and the way that the gospel became accessible to us. That Jesus died on a cross in our place so that we could be free from the sentence that results from our sin. It's just that simple. There's nobody who's innocent. We're not born. I, I, gotta, I don't want to get theological here. We're not born with like the default setting of our life is where you're just going to die. You're judged already from the moment of birth. I believe that from the moment we're born, we make choices as we grow in life and we're eating from that other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll live my way. I'll do things my way. I'll decide what's right and wrong. I'll do what I believe is right for my life. It's self-will, which can lead to self-righteousness. And it's all about that all the days of our life. And what the message of the cross is, is that no, right now, death has a hold on you. You have no life in you. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, not because God was sending them to their room. But he said, I don't want you guys to eat from the tree of life and live forever. Not with what you just invited into the world. Can you imagine if you had 500 years of life to master sin? I mean, think how, uh, I mean, it would just be horrific. So Jesus said, unless you pick up your cross, he who would follow after me must deny himself, pick up his own cross, and follow after me. This is our part. This is the decision that shows repentance, where we can say like Paul did, if man... If anybody lived a perfect, righteous, or a literally Pharisaic life of religious dead works, it was Paul. He could teach a class on how to do dead religion because he grew up in it, he taught it, he was a master of it. And he came to a revelation that I'm not just coming and learning some things so that I can have this self-improvement course in life. No, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And even this life I live in the flesh, I live by the, in faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave up himself for me. This call to salvation is a call to completely denying ourselves, pick up our cross. And how many of you know a cross is not something to be carried around in the street? I remember watching The Passion for the Christ for the first time. You all seen that? It's a good, good movie to watch around Resurrection Day just to catch a sense of what Jesus was willing to do how much he was willing to endure just to take the chastisement that brought us peace on himself. It's a powerful thing. But I remember at one point, it's so long from the moment they first begin to pluck out his beard till he finally dies on that cross. And I remember him carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem and my heart was bursting. I mean, I was in this thing and my heart was ready to burst. And I thought, can we just fast forward to the cross already? I can't bear to see my love suffer like this for a minute longer. 
And I want to suggest that there are many who have come to Christ who are like bleeding in the streets, beating yourself because of the things that you've done or allowing the enemy to still have a heyday because you haven't gotten on a cross yet. Having said, my life ends here now. I am not my own any longer. I belong to a God who loved me and gave himself for me. I belong to another. I've got my all on the doorpost of his house. I'm saying, go ahead, strike it through and put that ring in my ear. I'm yours forever as a love servant, as a son who's been restored for all time. And instead of just going through these religious motions and wrestling with the same things over and over again, if you've not crucified your life in Christ, what does that mean? It means that all the things I once called gain, I now count as dung. I'm not going to use the modern word that would be the equivalent of what Paul said there, not from the pulpit, but you could fill in the blank right now. It starts with S. Everything I thought was so good about me, that's what I think of it now. And my sin, man, enemy could have a heyday and go ahead down his whole list of all my sins. I can add to it. But all of those things now have been crucified with Christ. That's not me anymore. It's not you anymore. Saint of God, if you've come to Christ and you've given yourself to him like that, those are not yours to carry anymore. The things that you did and the things that were done to you, crucified in Christ. This is the message that gets us into a baptism tank. And if, you know, we'll have a baptism again soon, okay? If you didn't go in there by faith of saying, I'm burying everything that I used to be. Oh, God will use it all. God can make all things work together for the good of those that are loved of God and called according to his purpose. Oh, he could do that but we're not carrying it anymore. We're not carrying all the good things we did to brag before God and say, hey, remember when I did that? Wasn't that awesome? And we're not carrying the awful things that we did any longer as if to say, well, when I'm finished punishing myself, then I could come back in the house. This is me whipping myself, by the way. That's what this means. That it's not like that. Our salvation lies right on the other side of our own cross. Jesus went first. This is why he has the right to make this demand of us. Why does Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, why does the Word become flesh, have a right to say, not just me on a cross and you just enjoy the benefits, but you on a cross too. Oh, thank God it's not a physical cross. Thank God we don't have to go through the torture and the torment of carrying sins and doing our own work. That's dead religion again. I'm going to do my own work of putting these things to death. No, the purpose of a cross is not to carry it through the streets, but to get up on it and die to who we used to be. And if you did not do that, if you came to Christ because the great benefits on the other side or because you learned that God loves you, that's a good start. But I'm calling you today to repentance. I'm calling you today to be crucified with Christ and to say it's no longer I who lives. This is not my life any longer. You know, a rededication like what Patty gave to us earlier, an opportunity to respond and say, okay, God, you can have my all. That, that's what the cross means. That's what it means to come to Christ, that we say that, and now from now and for the rest of my life, I belong to the Lord, I'm His. And yeah, we have these precious moments of rededication, and many of us stumble and fall and slip away, and some of us even, you know, we call this backsliding because we're moving forward with God, and then we start to move away from God. And, and we do this thing like, oh, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And, you know, we, we sometimes get into seasons of life, right? We play games like that. But today, I'm given a call to crucify yourself with Christ. You got to get on your own cross. Jesus isn't going to take anybody and put us up on a cross, as it were, in the Spirit and crucify us. This is where we say, I lay down my life. I'm laying it down. It is not my life. How do we know if we're doing that or not? Well, how do you go about making decisions? How do we go about what we're going to do all day and every day and for the rest of our lives? If Christ is not involved in every decision we make and where we go and what we do, then he has not become Lord of all. And as somebody once said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. The promise of the gospel is not just an improvement in areas of brokenness. It's a complete renovation of our entire life. There is nothing held back, nothing missing. It's all his. And if you're not experiencing all of the fullness of Christ, I'm telling you, there's a part of your life right now that needs to get crucified again. Only this time, let it hang there long enough to die. That it needs to be, it needs to be put to death. There's only one name and one way through which we could be saved from death 
the grave and hell. And it's through Jesus Christ. That is the only way through. The only way into heavenly gates is through that cross. Not that specific one, but through the cross. So how do we do this? Do we all stand to our feet? Romans 10, Paul laid it out for us to make it real simple. And there are many ways, and I know we've, I don't want to get into, you know, do you pray a sinner's prayer or something like that? Do you, you know, wait and come forward when there's been an official invitation? Salvation could happen anytime, any moment in time. The, the call, the, the offer is there. The curtain of the temple has been rent in two, and the way back to the peace of God and the mercy seat, always wide open 24 7, 365. It's always there. That's really good news. Well, I got really good news is that there's nothing complicated about this. It's as simple as this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Notice it says, he said, confess with your mouth. Not just think about it in your mind. You know, the good news and salvation is not through a mental assent to something a preacher once said. It's a, I'm going to use this instrument, which is where my authority rests. And I'm going to for once say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you are over all things in my life. From you, to you, through you, are all things now and forever. I'm not playing games with you. I'm not going to be this in and out kind of thing. I'm not just going to come get the benefits and then go scoot off and do my own thing. I'm saying that you're Lord. I will give an account to you for my life. Thank you. For, thank God he's a loving, merciful God. So it's not the scary thing, but I know that I'm accountable to you. I'm a steward of my life that's now in Christ for the rest of my days. And so I'm going to confess with my mouth that something we say out loud, Jesus, you're my Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why is that the one thing that's so important? Because if Jesus would have just died on that cross and got buried in a tomb and didn't come out again, our faith is useless. Paul said, man, if Christ wasn't raised from our dead, then we believe in vain. If we don't believe that God, that Jesus conquered the grave, that he came out on the other side of it, then all we're doing, we're just a bunch of sad sack martyrs who die for some cause. The beautiful thing about this cross is on the other side of every cross, whether it's the first one we hang on or it's when we crucify an issue in our life and say, I'm done dealing with this thing. I'm laying it down. I'm considering it to be dead in Christ. The good news is on the other side of every cross, there's a resurrection. There's always a resurrection on the other side. I'm telling you right now, if you've got anything in you that believes Jesus is requiring something of you that he himself would not have done, he's already done it all. Whatever it is that you feel, man, I got to crucify that in Christ. He carried it on that cross already. He carried every one of your griefs. Everything that broke your heart, everything that happened in your life that other people did to you that caused you to go into this awful feeling of grief and mourning, he said, I'm going to carry that for you. You need chastisement because you messed up. Guess what? You're never going to be punished again for your sins. I'm taking the chastisement that will bring you peace, wholeness in your life. It's all on me. I'm going to carry that so you don't have to pay a price for your own sins. And then with his final words, he said, it's finished. It's finished. You don't have to do anything to add to this. There's nothing else you've got to do. Just confess with your mouth that I'm your Lord and you're in me now. You're safe on the other side of that awful punishment that was awaiting you. You're safe on the other side of the grave, which is everybody's destiny. Everybody's destiny is the grave. There's only one way to get through to the other side of that grave. It's by being crucified with Christ saying this is it this isn't some religious organization i'm joining i'm coming into a place where it's life not more abundantly i'm coming into a place where even if i mess up even if things still come my way i know my eternal destination is i am alive forever in paradise so if you are here today and you have never done that maybe you came to christ another way Maybe you're hearing this all for the first time. Please join me up here in the front right now. Come and give your life wholeheartedly to the Lord. 
Maybe you've given your life to the Lord before and you say, no, I've been halfway in. Now I want to be all the way in. I've been maybe three quarters of the way in, but I didn't know I had to be totally dead to what I used to be. Come and join me in the front. Stephanie, would you just kind of minister over us for a few minutes here? If you've been carrying issues in your life, and you keep finding it, I just keep getting sucked right back into this thing. I've been set free and then I fall back into it again. I'm going to give you an invitation again to crucify it right now in Christ. Maybe you're in Christ already. Maybe you know already. I've got, I'm through the death sentence. I know that I'm going to be alive forever. But man, am I sick of dealing with this thing now. Come and give it to the Lord. You can crucify that part. Maybe you didn't realize there were things that you brought and, and you say, you know, I know a couple of things right now, and I got to put that on the cross in Christ. Come and join me here in the front. I'm going to invite all the fathers and mothers, elders, come and join me around these precious folks right here, and let's bless them. And I'm going to just ask you to do the work. I'm going to pray for you at the end, but first I'm going to ask you to use your own words. And by the way, when you're leading somebody to Christ, don't put words in their mouth. I know that there's the sinner's prayer and all that, and I'm not, you know, if other people want to do that, that's fine. This is a conviction and it's biblical. There's nobody that just said a repeat after me prayer anywhere in the Bible. It was all a response to what God said. And now I'm going to declare some things to God. If you're here to pray for people, would you come around in front of them too? So you can look them right in the face. And I'm going to just ask all of you now that came forward, you pray and tell the Lord in your own words, you're my Lord. I believe that you died and rose for me and my life is yours. Go ahead. It can be as simple as that, but use your own language. Go ahead and just pray and ask it and declare it to him right now. Well, I'm going to just invite all of you to continue to pray for these who have come forward. We're not going to interrupt the ministry, but you're free to go and enjoy your life in Christ this week. And I urge you to keep your eyes open for opportunities. The same message that brought us into life and that more abundantly is now yours to preach. Don't hold back. I've shared it as strong as it could be shared today. Go for it. Don't hold back on sharing Christ and giving opportunity to come through that door into life and that more abundantly. God bless you and have an awesome week. Spinch.